We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. Here's a good idea. Have a point. It makes it so much more interesting for the listener. Yes, it does. Hey, welcome back to At Your Service. Brad Young in with you for another hour. And and when I was driving in this evening to the station, I was going probably about 45 miles an hour driving in on Highway 40. And the the roads weren't too bad. I mean, you you weren't flying, but just driving in your lane. And it was okay. It was passable. But two things happened that reminded me of of an interesting way we look at things. Because as I was driving in, again, I was doing about 40, 45 miles an hour, and there was only one lane that was really plowed. And the rest of them were just suggestions of a lane, right? So I'm driving in, and this guy passes me on the left, and he's probably going 80 miles an hour. And I looked at him, and I just thought, dude, you're a maniac. You're driving 80 miles an hour. The roads are covered with snow. You're just an accident waiting to happen. You're a maniac. And then I came up on someone who was driving with their hazard lights flashing, and they were probably going 30 miles an hour on on Highway 40. And I thought, you are a moron. What are you doing driving so slowly, you moron? And it occurred to me that, that we subjectively think that the correct speed to drive is whatever speed we're driving. So it doesn't matter what the speed limit is. The speed limit could be 40, 50, 60, or 70. doesn't matter. Whatever speed you're driving, that's the right speed. And anyone who's going faster than you is a maniac, and anyone driving slower than you are is a moron. Now, you you test me. Next time you're out and someone passes you, you're going to think in your mind, they're a maniac, and if you drive up on someone who's you know really old and wearing a hat and they're going 10 miles an hour below the speed limit, you're going to say, pal, you're a moron, get off the road. But isn't that how we judge most things? By what we think our standards are for ourselves, that's what's correct. And anyone who doesn't fit our standards is either a maniac or a moron. And uh, just keep that in mind when you're out driving about in this uh, winter season. You know, it's interesting with regard to the stuff, the money cannon that the federal government is firing these days. I Just this week, I received my package of free at-home COVID tests. And I thought, 
And I got two of these, I think two or four of these, they showed up at my house. And I'm thinking, you know, we're going to get these masks now. The government's sending out all of these free N95 masks. And I thought, isn't that just like the government? Here we are two years in to the worldwide pandemic. By all accounts, we're on the way out of this. Deaths are going down. Positive tests are going down. More and more people are vaccinated. Serious risk of injury is going down, down, down. And now, out of the blue, we're going to spend billions of dollars to send out free at-home COVID tests. Where were you a year ago? Now that the pandemic is over, or at least on its way out from being over, now we get the free masks. You know, who doesn't have a mask these days? Who doesn't? I've got one, I've got at least one, if not three, squirreled away in every coat pocket that I own. I've got about 10 in my car about five more in my glove box. I've got a couple that I look at them and I'm thinking, I'm not putting that on my face. That thing's nasty. You know, I'm not putting that on. You've got the same kind of mask at your house. Who doesn't have a mask? But we're now going to spend billions of dollars to send them out to our houses now that we don't need them anymore. And it just kind of reminded me, it would be kind of like if, <laughs> if Noah somehow was passing out, you know, when the ark and the world flooded, all of a sudden Noah started passing out uh, life preservers to folks two weeks after the worldwide flood. Like, dude, you know, you should have been, if you're going to be passing out life preservers, you probably should have done it before it started raining. Uh, it's We we don't need the COVID at home tests now. We don't need the masks. And now the government's spending billions uh, to, to send them out to us. Only in America. You know, I say that. I say only in America. But if you read the book, uh, it, it's the famous, it's called The Prince, I believe is the name of it, by Machiavelli. I read it in college. I haven't read it since then. So I should really reread that book. But it highlights, and this was taking place in 1600s in Italy, I believe. And you read when you read that book, you realize that Government was just as bloated and inefficient in the 1600s as it is today. I mean, government that doesn't work is not a new idea. Most, if not all, governments don't work. And the main job of government is to make itself bigger and to collect more money. That's their job. That's the, the function of government is to get larger and to consume more resources. So, uh, so again, when we complain about how our government works, you can rest in the knowledge of knowing this is not a new problem. It's been around as long as governments have existed. And so if you get your free mask from the government and your free at-home kit, I mean, I, I don't know, I guess you could sell it on eBay. I don't know if that's prohibited or not, but uh, I don't know that we're going to need it because hopefully COVID is on its way out. And what's also interesting is when I said those functions of government is to grow in size and to consume more resources. Well, in its growing in size, one of the things that government does, as well as hackers and thieves and all sorts of bad actors, is they want your private information. They want it. And what's scary is that in today's world, they can get it. So coming up after the break... We're going to talk to author Scott McClellan, McClellan and he's the author of a, of a new book, The Death of Privacy in the Digital Age. 
We're going to talk to him about all of the risks that we face today by having our privacy stolen and used against us in ways that we can't even imagine. Brad Young at your service. We'll be right back. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s. And each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month without a pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. After the end of a good fight, you deserve an ice cold reward. Medela is the mark of a fighter. You've earned this rich golden lager with a crisp, refreshing taste. Because you know, the bigger the fight, the better the reward. You put in the hours, the energy, the tough labor. You are a fighter. Medela is your reward. Medela, the mark of a fighter. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Port, Chicago, Illinois. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. The one topic that I follow very closely is, is truly the death of our privacy. In years past, you've seen this, private investigators would have to sift through your garbage and trash to find your private information. And, you know, that wasn't very efficient. But today, of course, you know, it's no shock to anyone that with just a few keystrokes, your entire life is an open book and all of your private information is there for the taking. That's why I was fascinated with a book I read recently called The Death of Privacy in the Digital Age. So joining us this evening on KMOX is author Scott McClellan. Hey, Scott, welcome to KMOX. Thank you for having me. Hey, you're, are you in Carbondale? Uh, I grew up in Carbondale. You grew up in Carbondale. And, okay. Yes. Very good. I, I went to undergraduate school in Carbondale uh, back when uh, Halloween was actually a big thing in, in Carbondale. <laughs> and uh, it's interesting. Uh, most folks don't have a lot of memories about Halloween in Carbondale because they were too intoxicated, but that's that's another, that's another story. I'll save that for another time. But uh, but Scott, when I discuss privacy issues with anyone under the age of thirty, including all three of my daughters, the age group that I think they, they post everything online, their entire lives are posted online. And when I discuss privacy issues with them, Scott, I'm told a variation on the following. I don't have anything to hide, so I really don't care about my privacy. Tell us, Scott, why is that answer not only ignorant, but also dangerous? Well, just because you have nothing to hide uh, doesn't mean you have nothing to lose. So uh, just because you keep some things private uh, doesn't mean that you're, uh, you know, hiding something from someone else. 
so that basically just means that it's it's not it shouldn't you should set clear lines between what you want kept mm-hmm. public and private. Yeah, and, and, and in you, a lot of ways, mm-hmm. you give a great example. There's a story in your book about several people who were posting on a web forum about their depression and struggles with attempting to wean themselves off antidepressant medication. Tell us about that story and what was being done with their personal information. So these people, uh, they they met because they have a similar uh, medical condition that they don't necessarily want it to disclose to neighbors. Uh, but what they found out was, that, so they were posting on this, this webpage, but that their data was being scraped and sold to pharmaceutical companies anyway. So these people really felt like that was a violation of their privacy, uh, mm-hmm. but... But when it came down to it, their data was already being scraped. So what we may think is private is not actually private. Right. And, and, and all of us, we may think that we have nothing to hide, but you made a great statement. We have a lot to lose, whether it's our financial information, whether it's our personal uh, health information, whether it's things about your past you just don't want folks to know. All of that is fair game today in the digital age in a way that's never been accessible at any time in history. It's it's crazy that, you know, we can access our bank accounts, our 401ks, IRAs, all of this are just sitting behind passwords that we might be a little bit too lazy about whenever we're making them. Boy, that's a great point. Scott McClellan, he's the author of The Death of Privacy in the Digital Age. And most of the time, Scott, when we think of losing our, our private information, we, we think of hackers. We think of uh, phishing where people send out emails and trick you into giving away your information. Uh, we think of bad actors or even uh, someone sitting in uh, their uncle's basement in Romania that's trying to steal our information. But you make a great point that bad actors, hackers, or thieves aren't the only ones trying to steal our information, that national governments and even local governments are packaging and selling our data. Yeah, I was shocked when I found this out. Uh, <laughs> I knew uh, some governments were strapped for cash, but I just I never thought they would be selling my own personal data. Uh, you know, I, I would figure I'd leave that to uh, other companies. So the point being uh, is like, you know, when, what, what data, what personal data is it okay for the government to sell about us? You know, we need to draw a line between what we want is personal, private, mm-hmm. and secret, you know, maybe our, our uh, home address or um, uh, sensitive information like that. But even, for example, the IRS, there's been some very notable examples in the last few years, Scott, where the IRS has been hacked and our personal, private, financial information then becomes accessible to whoever can hack into the government. And, of course, we all know that government systems may not be the absolute best when it comes to having uh, digital security. And folks don't want their private information stolen from the U.S. government but that also is a risk, isn't it? Yeah, it is. And that's such a big problem of why uh, why it's problematic to reuse passwords. Once one of your passwords gets exposed in one of these giant hacks, 
that have, uh, you know, it, it's it, it's exposed millions of people um, than if you reuse passwords. And it's only a matter of time until hackers can break into your personal accounts. And uh, that can even have uh, personal or prof- professional ramifications if someone hacks your Twitter account and posts something, uh, you know, something offensive and it can it can really cause you a lot of trouble. Yeah, because we're all essentially lazy. I mean, most people are, particularly when it comes to passwords. And if someone is of the mindset that says, well, I'm going to use the same username and password for every website that I have to log into, once that information is out in the public domain because it's been hacked, then those people could access bank accounts, financial information, health records, just about anything. Yeah, and that's that's real scary when you get down to it. Well, I know here we're, we're first of all we're talking to Scott McClellan. He's the author of the Death of Privacy in the Digital Age. I really loved your book because it outlined so many scenarios where our personal information is at risk in ways that I hadn't even thought of before. And and here in the United States, it's no shock we're quickly descending into a tribal mentality where each political party says, we're the good guys and everyone else is evil. Uh, But yet you point out in your book that when it comes to hijacking our digital privacy, both political parties are doing it today uh, when it comes to whether it's in the politics or fundraising, both political parties are doing it. Oh, yeah. It's just, uh, you know, whatever tool they can use to get ahead, especially whenever it, uh, you know, involves voters and voter preferences. Well, I want to talk about social media and big tech for just a moment because. Let's do it. Because one of the things that is interesting, even today, I heard that both Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez and Ted Cruz both want to regulate Facebook. I mean, you can't find any two people who are the polar opposites politically than than AOC and Ted Cruz, and yet both of them want to regulate social media, uh, but in different ways. I mean, the left wants more content moderation, while the while those on the right want less content moderation. And we hear a lot today about Section 230 of the Communications Decency Act of 1996. What is Section 230, Scott? And how does that impact how all social media companies operate today? Section 230 provides uh, civil uh, liability to on pla- online platforms for hosting third-party content. So what that means is basically if I post something on Facebook, uh, Facebook is not liable for my words if I'm uh, you know, defaming someone or accusing someone. So the idea behind Section 230 is uh, it was uh, part of the 1996 Communications Decency Act. Lawmakers wanted to uh, make it possible for social media for s- social media companies when we, when they were small, scrappy startups. Uh, they wanted them to have a chance before they were sued into the ground. Uh, so that provided civil uh, liability, but uh, it basically says that. Uh, Facebook is not liable for any content posted on it, but it can also remove content. And that's where uh, you get into the wide divide between, uh, I guess, AOC and Ted Cruz. Right. And that's what I want to focus on, because 
I've studied Section 230 and how it's been used in the past in the courts, and it does remove the threat of liability based on the content of speech for those who post. So if if uh, Joe Rogan wants to post on Facebook uh, that ivermectin is great to treat COVID, uh, he cannot be, the the Facebook cannot be held liable if someone takes ivermectin, gets sick, and then they sue Facebook. They're going to say, hey, look, uh, we've got a Section 230 liability shield. But here's my question, Scott. Since Section 230 provides that shield, why are social media companies so rabid about moderating content if they have no liability for that content? That is a very good question. Uh, I would say I think they're just trying to protect their reputations. Uh, but that is that is a very good question uh, <laughs> that I don't think I have. An, an exact answer to. Well, and I wasn't trying to throw a question at you that you couldn't answer. Mm-hmm. I was trying to throw a question at you to to stimulate the thought that that's what troubles me. When I hear AOC mm-hmm. and others talking about we need more uh, moderation con- or content moderation today, I and they always cite to Section 230, I'm thinking, well, if Section 230 provides the liability protection for the companies, why do they need to moderate content at all? And to me, it gets into a question of free speech. Uh, just this week, let me let me ask you this. Just this week, we had a situation where Joe Biden's Surgeon General suggested that Joe Rogan's podcast should be censored on Spotify, and I'm quoting, to reduce the spread of misinformation about COVID-19, Ooh. unquote. So if a, so we all know that social media companies are private companies. We all know that the First Amendment only applies to government action, not to private companies. But if a social media company restricts speech at the direction of the government, in your opinion, is that a scary thing and a a road that we should not be going down? Yeah, that's terrifying. Uh, I'm I'm okay if a private company says, you know what, I don't want to host this speech. But once you get governments ordering private companies to to silence some people, uh, it's just, it's, that's, yeah, it's too far for me. We're talking to uh, author Scott McClellan. He's the author of The Death of Privacy in the Digital Age. And just a, a couple of more topics here, if you can stick with us for just a few more minutes. Oh, yeah. Geofencing. Now, geofencing is, the, is this is something I've been following a long time, Scott. It, and just for folks who may not have heard that term, it's a process by which law enforcement agencies can send a warrant to, say, Google or a phone company or a cell company and obtain all of the names of all people who had cell phones within a fixed radius from the site of a crime. So if there's a crime on the corner of 11th Street and Market in downtown St. Louis, the the police could issue a warrant to AT&T or Verizon or even Google and say, give me all of the cell phone numbers within a one-mile radius of that crime. Now, from my perspective, that as as an attorney— That, to me, is terrifying because people who are then having their uh, cell numbers disclosed to the government, to a law enforcement agency, they're being investigated for a crime. And there's no probable cause to believe that any of those individuals have have committed a crime. And yet that's the kind of behind the scenes destruction of our privacy that's going on every day. That's the kind of things that scare me. You know, you are, am I guilty just because I walk down a a certain street at a certain time of the day? Uh, It, 
it, it kind of gets pretty close to fishing for evidence. Uh, so that's, yeah, geofencing and uh, so many more things leave a lot of questions about where our privacy is, uh, if we have any privacy in public. Yeah, and, and those are the kind of topics that you delve into in your book, The Death of Privacy in the Digital Age, and that's why I was really captivated by the topics that you covered, Scott. Uh, last question, in, in a case, and you also referenced this in your book as well, this is uh, uh, a case that I followed literally from the district court level through the U.S. Supreme Court ruling last year. I talked about it a lot here on KMOX. It was called Mahanoy Area School District versus BL. And for folks who don't remember this case, a school district punished a student for something that she sent via Snapchat to her friends. Uh, she gave the middle finger because she didn't get picked for the varsity cheerleading squad. Okay, it wasn't a big deal. And she sent this to several of her personal private friends. I believe it was on Snapchat. It wasn't done on school time. It wasn't done on school property. It wasn't sent to the school. It was only sent to a few of her friends. But one of her friends showed it to the school, and then she got punished for it. Went all the way to the Supreme Court, and the Supreme Court, had they not stepped in, they ruled, I believe it was 8 to 1 in favor of of stating that the school could not punish this type of speech that was had no relationship to the school in any way. But doesn't that demonstrate another danger that we're not even discussing much today, that schools could be even wanting to monitor all of the social media posts of school kids and punish them for that speech? Yeah, that's a very real threat. I just, our online actions today can have so just can have far-reaching consequences. Yeah, and in a way that that does impact the First Amendment because now it's an agent of the of the government, schools that are funded by our government systems, and they're, they're, they are basically punishing someone for the content of their speech. To me, that's very scary. Scott, I'm not the only person who loves the issues that you raised in your book, The Death of Privacy in the Digital Age. Where's the best place for folks to get a copy of your book? You can pick it up on Amazon, uh, Barnes & Noble, Walmart, or other places books are sold. Excellent. Scott McClellan, hey, thanks for taking time out of your busy schedule to chat with us this evening on Camo X. Thank you for having me. Great. You need to pick up this book, The Death of Privacy in the Digital Age. What do you think about privacy? Is this something that, that you think uh, is a concern? Or are you uh, like a lot of kids that I talk to who say, ah, I don't care? You know what? Nothing's private. I don't have any privacy. It doesn't matter anyway. How do you feel about that? Call or text 314-436-7900. At your service. We'll be right back. Hey, welcome back to At Your Service. You know, I love receiving texts. Uh, so I was talking about the best TV shows of all time because this poll came out and and on the list, uh, the number one show of all time, according to this most recent poll, Friends, followed very closely by Seinfeld. And then uh, next is Game of Thrones. And then there's also one on here that baffles me. Three's Company? Really? Who thought Three's Company? Matt, have you ever seen Three's Company? Have you ever seen that show? Not enough to know about. Like, I know the general premise of it. I know it's old and kind of tacky, but... This show was no, dumb. A, yeah. I mean, there was nothing <laughs> intelligent. The entire focus of the show was to 
watch girls who weren't wearing a lot of clothing. Yeah, yeah. Uh, there were there was no point to that show. I I, I never watched that very much because I thought it was stupid. But somehow it was ranked uh, fourth or fifth on the list. One, two, three, four. Fourth on the list. I I don't know, I don't know who they pulled for that, but uh, that was some bad information there. But what's interesting is I got some great texts. The Golden Girls, oh, classic. Uh, Night Court. And uh, there's, again, I've got another one here for Game of Thrones. Folks texting in, thank you very much. And also a shout-out for St. Paul, Missouri. Hey, guys, thanks for listening tonight, and thanks for texting. Uh, I understand you got some uh, neighbors hanging out with uh, snow shovels. So, uh, listen, if you want to go to uh, Chesterfield and sh- and shovel my driveway, I would be happy, happy uh, to let you do that <laughs> if you're having a snow shoveling party. Feel free to come to my house. Uh, one of the things that I uh, I talked about earlier was this situation involving the Georgetown University law professor who made some comments about President Biden basically stating he was going to discriminate against people based upon gender and race when choosing his Supreme Court nominee. And the story that came out yesterday was that there is a group of students at Georgetown University who are protesting uh, Ilya Shapiro for making that comment. So they're actively protesting. But it, And I'm reading exactly from the news article. It says that these students are, quote, demanding a space to cry. I'm not making this up. They're demanding a crying space and to have catered food while staging a sit-in protest. And what's even more outrageous, because they have to have a safe space because the idea of someone criticizing President Biden is triggering them, so they have to have a crying space. These are future attorneys who are going to be in court arguing on behalf of clients, and they need a crying room? Are you kidding me? They need a crying room. But But the dean of Georgetown University law school agreed to cater their food. I, you know, I, I, I used to think I was a smart guy, but in law school, I had literally no money. When I was in law school, it took all the money I could borrow and earn working a job during law school to pay for law school. So one thing I never had much of was food. It was the skinniest I was ever in my entire life was when I was in law school because I couldn't afford food. I should have staged a protest of some kind in law school and demanded the dean of St. Louis University cater my food for my my, my sit-in protest. That would have been the best meal I ever had, except when I was eating at my future wife's house. Uh, that, that was the best food. But wh- why didn't I think of staging a protest and demanding that they cater food to the protest? And yet that is exactly what's going on right now at Georgetown University because folks are so triggered by the idea that someone could criticize the president for limiting his choice for the Supreme Court based upon race and gender. And this comes up to another issue. And, and Matt, we're going to run just a little long here, but I want to play this quote from you or for you from Bill Maher. And if you've noticed recently, Bill Maher has suddenly started making sense because he's actually criticizing the left criticizing nonsense like this. This is what Bill Maher had to say about today's Democrat Party. 
It's not me who's changed. It's the left, who is now made up of a small contingent who've gone mental and a large contingent who refused to call them out for it. But I will. That's why I'm a hero at Fox these days. Which shows just how much liberals have their head up their ass. Because if they really thought about it, they would have made me a hero on their media. But, but that can't happen in this ridiculous new era of mind-numbing partisanship. Where if I keep it real about the nonsense in the Democratic Party, it makes me an instant hero to Republicans. The same thing happened in reverse to Darth Vader's daughter, Liz Cheney, <laughs> who is now a hero to liberals simply because she recognizes Biden did not steal the last election. What a sad commentary on our politics, where simply acknowledging reality is now seen as a profile in courage. People sometimes say to me, you know, you didn't, you didn't used to make fun of the left as much. Yeah, because they didn't give me so much to work with. They didn't give me so much to work with. Well, this story out of Georgetown University is truly material for Bill Maher. It's just unbelievable. Oh, we got one other text from Mary Lynn, Night Court. So that is an excellent show. Thanks, Mary Lynn, and should also go on the list. Hey, we got to take a break here. Brad Young at your service for one more segment with you till 10 o'clock p.m. Don't go away. Hey, I've got a question to my uh, friends out in uh, in St. Paul, Missouri, who have been having a snow shovel party, apparently. Put down the shovels, listening to Camel Wax. What a great way to, to enjoy your evening. Here's my question for you. Do you follow Puxatani Phil and his predictions? Do you follow him? Now, ask your group of people, because you're shoveling snow. I usually, you know, as an attorney, I'm usually shoveling something else during the day. Uh, but I know you've been out shoveling snow. But here's my question, and here's the reason why, rather, I'm asking the question. Because a poll came out yesterday when Puxatani Phil, it was Groundhog Day, and speaking of great movies, what a great movie, Groundhog Day with Bill Murray, fantastic movie. But it, but the question becomes, how accurate is Puxatani Phil? 58% of Americans trust the predictions from Puxatani Phil more than their local meteorologist. So, you know, it doesn't matter if you've got radar, if you're tracking storm systems from the West Coast, you're following uh, the jet stream and the high-pressure zones that, 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 uh, that create the snow that we were experiencing. No, no, no. None of that's important. What's important is what a Roten says coming out of his house in, in uh, what is it, in uh, Philadelphia. No, in uh, Pennsylvania. So it goes back to 1887, but 60% of Americans trust his predictions. Now, the folks, uh, actually, Mary Lynn just texted and said, Phil is only right 40% of the time. That's, Mary Lynn, you are on it. In fact, it's 39% is Phil's accuracy going back, I think, about 30 years. He's only right 39% of the time. So literally, you could flip a coin, you could flip a coin, and you would be right more often than Puxatani Phil. And, and yet, apparently, 58% of Americans uh, uh, credit him as being more accurate than their local 
meteorologist. Unbelievable. We also have a couple more votes for the greatest TV shows. Rockford Files. Oh, yeah. What a great show. And Miami Vice. You know, I always wanted to dress like Don Johnson in Miami Vice, but, uh, you know, I just I couldn't pull that one off. Uh, he did dress very, very, very well. Had a great boat, too, by the way. So another story that I want to make sure and, uh, and, and touch upon is this before we run out of time this evening. Kim Gardner. You know, I haven't talked about Kim Gardner in a while. And to me, she's the epitome of the prosecutors in this country, primarily funded their election campaigns, funded by George Soros, in order to try to achieve social justice, but not enforce any actual justice. Murderers and thieves go free in the city of St. Louis, but she was more interested in prosecuting the McCloskeys for protecting their property than she was in prosecuting people who steal and who commit murders and do carjackings. She's far more interested in prosecuting the McCloskeys. Now, to me, that's wrong. And that is, in my opinion, that is legal malpractice, not in a legal sense, but in a justice sense from the fact that we have elected her. If you're in the city of St. Louis, we've elected her to prosecute criminals, and she's failing to do that job. Why do I bring her up? Because there has been an ongoing disciplinary hearing because she's in trouble with the Missouri Bar Association. She participated in lies being told to the court whenever the prosecution of Eric Greitens was going on. She allowed it to happen, and she failed to correct it. And because of that, she was charged with ethics violations by the Missouri Bar Association. The hearing to determine whether or not she's guilty of those charges was supposed to take place in February, February 28th. But the Missouri Supreme Court has now continued that. No explanation, presumably due to COVID, but we don't know. But it'll be held now on April 11th. I'm going to be following that hearing very closely, and so should you. And here's why. Under Missouri law, if she is convicted of those ethics charges, and if the Missouri Supreme Court suspends her license to practice law. Under the Missouri statutes, she would then be ineligible to be the circuit attorney. And likewise, in that exact same statutory section, if you are ineligible, if rather, if you lose your license for any reason, the governor gets to appoint your replacement. So we could have a scenario where Kim Gardner is forced from office and replaced by Governor Parson because she committed ethics violations while prosecuting Eric Greitens. What a turn of events this could be. And this will take place, the hearing on April 11. I'll be updating you more as that date gets closer and after the hearing because I will be following that very closely. And I hope you are too. I appreciate you following this show at your service. I should be back next Wednesday evening here on KMOX. Stay safe if you're driving, and I will talk to you next week. Oh, hey, before I go, don't forget, coming up next, best of Dave Glover right here on KMOX. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours 
and great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. Baseball is back, and so is MLB.tv. Watch every out-of-market, regular season game on your favorite streaming devices. Anywhere, anytime, all season long. Follow the action live or on demand. Track four games at once with multi-view mode. And catch up with in-game highlights. Plus, original programs, minor league broadcasts, and local pre- and post-game shows. Go to MLB.tv to start your free trial today. Blackout and other restrictions apply. Major League Baseball trademarks used with permission. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. Protect your vehicle's engine with a full synthetic oil change and save with Mobile One at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Purchase five quarts of Mobile One full synthetic motor oil and receive a $10 O'Reilly gift card after rebate. See store for details. With your Mobile One purchase, you'll also receive two times points during Old Rewards Bonus Points Month at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly.